Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. I want to share a couple of things with you today. Uh, we're in the series entitled Miracles. Um, how many of you guys are doing real well since we did the series Miracles? How many of you guys, let me say this. How many of you guys say, man, since Pastor Jody, you started a series on miracles, felt like, man, you know, I could use a little more miracle in my life right now. Anybody, anybody besides me? Raise your hand. Just be honest. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I didn't, uh, I didn't know that would happen to you. I mean, uh, I didn't know what happened to us either and other people. Um, I've had numerous people tell me, uh, if you notice, this whole front row right here is out. This is my executive pastor usually sits here. His wife sits there. My wife usually sits over here somewhere. Every one of them, we woke up this morning, one of our kids is sick. He texted me last night, dude, I'm, I'm bad. I'm bad sick. I don't know if I can even make it. You know, I'm bad. I'm like, well, I don't want to be near you, so stay at home, right? Don't y'all agree? I mean, I love you in Jesus' name. But, um, you know, I guess it's one of those things where when you teach on stuff like this, sometimes the enemy just likes to throw his head up and tries to you know, make you just back up on what you believe and everything else. But, you know, the idea is we're still going to preach on it, talk about it, and we're still going to share about it. But I would encourage you uh, to kick up your prayer life a little bit uh, more, not necessarily the tenure of it, how long you pray, but just think about what you're praying for. Um, You might switch gears into something a little bit different, praying for your family, praying for things around you. But sometimes, you know, when you pray for things, praying for blessings, you kind of run out of stuff to pray for in that. I don't know about you, but if you're still praying for a new whatever, it, it runs out pretty quick, man. You, it, there's not a lot of passion in it. Once you get something that you prayed for, like, you know, like some kind of object or something like that, you're praying for something. Once you get one, you know, it wears out eventually. You have to replace the thing or fix it or something. But I'll tell you what, man, when you get up to something where it tugs at your heart, people, lives, souls, it, that does something for you right there, man. It'll, it'll change how you pray. So I just want to encourage you in that. If you're feeling like, man, I'm being hit a little bit, man, kick up your prayer. Find some of our missionaries in the church. Pray for them. Find somebody that's not including your family. Pray for those folks. Pray for uh, some things that are going around the world right now. But I just want to encourage you that and apologize for uh, maybe doing this series in one hand. Didn't know that all that would happen. I maybe should have warned our church up front and said, hey, maybe you should pray first before we kick up this series. But nonetheless, we're going to keep going at it. So Today we're going to talk about the miracle at Cana, okay? The miracle at Cana. And in this miracle, I know if you study your Bible, um, if you study your Bible, you come across this and most people would say, well, um, why didn't you do this one first? Because this is the one where Jesus did his first miracle that we have recorded. Why wouldn't you have started with this one first? Well, I didn't feel led to start with this one first. I love you, but (laughs) I just didn't. I know it's the first one, but it didn't really fit in my what I feel like God wanted to do, but I am going to share with, it, with you uh, a little bit about it today, and um, I'm going to start, this is in John chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, what you do is open them up and get there. If you don't, if it's on your phone, I want you to click to it. I want you to see it for yourself. We're going to read John 2, and we're going to talk about the miracle at Cana in Galilee. And this miracle, while you're turning, I'll give you a little backdrop on it. This miracle sets place in a wedding. It's a wedding feast, a wedding ceremony. If you've ever been to a wedding, they're fun um, in a sense that it's always a joy, it's a celebration, it's all that kind of thing. But if you ever see the hecticness that goes on behind the scenes of the preparation of a wedding, it's chaos. Especially if you do one of these, you know, you're super like, you know, you're, gonna, you're dreaming big. You're like, yeah, I'm going to take it all on. You do a night wedding where you're doing dinner and everything. 
God bless you, man. You're taking on a lot of responsibility you didn't know about till you got into it. Now, if you've been through it and you come out on the other side, you're like, yeah. I, I try to help people all the time when they get married. I'm like, listen, best thing you could do, best thing you could do, get married in the afternoon, get married after lunch, before dinner, right? That's what you do. That way you mow, you can get married, you go on your merry way because, listen, everybody else is there, you ain't going to remember anything. By the time the photographer's done with you, you're going to be so hungry. You're going to be so hungry that it's not going to be any food for you. Everybody's going to eat everything that's there. Nothing's going to be left. Unless you have a really awesome caterer, they'll, leave you a, they'll make you a plate. Now, this is why I tell people, I got names. I can help you. You want to know who the great caterers are in town? They're the ones that pack a to-go plate for the bride and the groom, baby. Them are, that's some good caterers right there. Bad caterers don't leave you anything. You know, they just, I'm telling you, that's the truth. That's the truth. So this is what's going on here in this, in this context. And there's a wedding that's there. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, apparently has a catering business. I, that's the only thing that makes sense. Why is she there asking for anyone to do anything lest she is over the, the party? It's the only thing that makes sense. How she got it, I don't know if she had a side business. I, I'm assuming at this time, I'm assuming that Joseph is dead. If, most scholars would agree that Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, would have already died um, when you read a lot of the stories in the Bible because he's not referenced at all. That would be very uncommon in their culture. They would have referenced him. He's referenced some, but in many places, especially the miracles, he, you don't see his name mentioned very much except for this is Jesus, the son of. You know, it's referenced in that way. But you don't see Joseph having a conversation with Jesus. So Mary, I assume maybe it's a side business. Maybe Jesus you know, is getting ready to go into ministry. He's slowed down production in the carpentry and home building business. I don't know, but either way, she's doing catering for some reason. So that's kind of the context. We'll pick it up here in John chapter 2 and verse 1, okay? So this is on the third day. And you could read into this a number of things. There is a number of things you could preach out of this message. But we're going to stick to something in regards to a miracle. But on the third day, you could pick up from there and read all about Calvary. But on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. My thought is, <laughs> she's got a side business. <laughs> if you've ever helped anybody out, you know, that's got a business and it's getting off the ground, have you ever been offered some free help? Like, right, hey, could y'all come help me? My uncle used to do this all the time, man. He would, like, he was working on his house and stuff like this. He'd tell me and my friends, hey, y'all want to come over? We're going to have a party. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Let's do this, baby. We get over there, and he'd say, where's the paint? He said, we're having a painting party. You know, he had paintbrushes and paint, and like, oh, and he made it fun. It was fun, and we had a great time with him. But you don't understand what I'm saying. It was a, it was a party, but I think Mary said, hey, boys, I need your help. I got to move some cake and some food and some sandwiches. Can y'all help me? Jesus, you got some new friends? <laughs> they seem to like you a lot. So why don't you bring them with you? So that's what I think is going on. Because obviously when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to, to, to him, they have no wine. You wouldn't say this unless you're in charge of something. It would have not mattered because Jesus says to her, it's very clear, because Jesus says, woman, what does that have to do with us? Now, there's not a man in here that's ever told your mama that. <laughs> I promise you that. I know I said I smarted my mom one time, one time too much. And I realized right then, don't ever, ever, ever do that again. Mamas don't play. Like, you, that, like if you're a mom and you let your kids just say whatever to you, you're, you'll, one day you'll snap. You'll snap. And we'll hear a mama story about you. The kids will tell us, 
My mama went crazy, man. Wait a minute, what happened? What happened? And I was, I, was, I was just saying some stuff, and what did you say? Well, I mean, I kind of had an attitude. All of a sudden, the broom come flying by. I'm like, what? <laughs> mama went crazy. Why? Because mamas, you ain't going to talk to mama like that. So this is what you want you to understand about this. This is Eastern culture, not Western culture. Many people depict this to say Jesus was being very rude to his mother, disrespectful to his mother, or had some issue with women. That is not true. In their culture, to say this, it's the same reference, if you will, woman, what does it have to do with us? Woman, while he's on the cross, behold thy son, John. Same reference. It is a sign of endearment. It would be no different than us saying, mama, not mama, not like that. Mama, what does that have to do with us? Mama, it's just a, it's a reference of endearment. It was not a reference of disrespect to his mother. So I want to make sure you understand, because today people want to pick out all this stuff in the Bible and make it out as if Jesus hated women. Um, he ministered to a lot of women, gave a lot of grace to a lot of women. He got after the guys more than he did. You understand what I'm saying? That's the ones he got after. So anyway, this is what was going on. He says to her, <clears throat> what does it have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, lest she had the authority to say this, She's, who, why would they listen to her? But she says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, I don't know what you think about this story. I'll get into it a little bit more. But I kind of feel like they just looked at it and said, well, we're employees of Catering by Mary. Her son says to do this, so I guess we need to do that if we want to keep our job. So that's all I think it was. I don't think they thought about a miracle. I think they thought... Well, Jesus, maybe there's some, you know, they got all their camels out back. Maybe they packed some more wine. I don't know. We're going to get some wine downtown. What are we going to do? So Jesus says to them, and again, you've got to imagine this. They weren't looking for miracles. This is, not a, this is not a story of a miracle working Jesus yet. This is a story of a bunch of employees looking around going, what do we do? They're out of wine. And to understand why this is important is because it would have been a bad reflection on catering by Mary if you didn't have enough food or things for everybody else. It doesn't matter why you run out. I don't care if Uncle Joe ate five sandwiches and three plates. It didn't matter why. You should have prepared for all the guests and more. That's their culture would have taken it as disrespectful to the wedding party. So that's all it is. Now we pick it up and this is what he says. There were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. I, I took a picture when I was in Israel. I'll show you a picture of this. This is what it looks like here. <clears throat> you guys can put that up for me. <clears throat> there you go. Very, very large. Um, it looks like a rock. <laughs> That's about all it is now because it's so old. But these things held about 20 to 30 gallons of water. Now, these were... Exactly what you think they are when you read your Bible. They were washing pots. Imagine everybody and their brothers washing their hands in this. Some of y'all like me. That's gross. My first thought was, Jesus can turn water into wine. Why couldn't he like, you know, buy some bottled water down there at the end of the street? Why couldn't he, why this? Ceremonial washing pots. Listen, have you ever washed your hands? That's a quick thing. But if your hands are dirty, or specifically if you're trying to make sure you follow something from the Scriptures, I'm going to be pure. 
you might take a little more time. Don't think it didn't go on. And here's this pot, and he says to them, take these pots. <laughs> so gross, man. It wigs me out thinking about it. So he said to them, fill up the water pots with water. So they did. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out now and take it to the head waiter. Now, what would you have? Come on, don't you act like you know this because you've read the story. Now you know what? Well, I know he's going to turn into wine. Shut up. You didn't know anything. What would you have done? Like, we're going to do what? He's saying, take it to the thing. Well, it's, it's her son. I mean, dude, I'm just going, I'm getting paid to be here, bro. I'm, I'm going to do what he says. I got to need this money. I got to go buy some stuff, right? So that's what they did. I think their minds, they probably thought, party's been going on for a while. They all had enough. Maybe they'll never know. They filled him up to the top. He said, take him to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, it did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called to the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, he then serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. In this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. It's very interesting when you think about this. He takes this wine, he takes his water that became wine to these folks. And the guy that's over the ceremonies, I think, you know, she's over catering, I think he's over the whole wedding, right? And he tastes it. Can you imagine the guys that take have just taken this water to them? Like, Come on, it's crazy. And then he drinks it, and they go like, he's like, wow, this is awesome. This is fantastic wine. I put them guys sitting like, well, they really had, he's had a lot then. You know what I mean? Did you try any of that? No, I didn't try it. Man, it's water. What's wrong with that guy? I believe that's what was going on in their their minds. The interesting thing also, I think, about that is, pardon me, but when he does this, when he hands this water to them, and when he takes it to the folks there, he says it's the better wine. The thing about Jesus is that I find so unique is that Jesus never just does enough. He always does greater than what you can ever ask, imagine, or think. Jesus is not, when he does a miracle, when he does something, he's not satisfied with just a little bit. He always does more than what you and I could ever ask or think. Now, the thing that's interesting to me also about this is a cool party trick. I mean, imagine if you could do that. It would be awesome, right? Jesus did a lot of stuff with water that you and I can't do. And I want you to hear me very clearly when I say this. This is a miracle done by Jesus, not by the servants. Because this is where we get confused. If I work this formula and this method and these number of things, then I can get a miracle from Jesus. If I just do A, B, C, D, then I will get this answer. The servants did what was told of them, yes, but they did not work the miracle. It was Jesus that worked the miracle. The other thing I find interesting about this is that all these things that he did with water, he walked on water. 
He stopped a storm filled with water. He turned water into wine. Jesus did cool stuff with water. Peter, yes, walked on the water, but he walked on the water with the power and help of God. He didn't do it on his own. Have you ever tried walking on water? I've actually tried. I'm going to be very honest with you. When I was a kid, I thought it was a cool story. I thought, well, let's see if, you know, let's try. Have you ever as a kid, maybe you hadn't done it as an adult, use your kid's mind for a while. Hadn't got to use it in a while. It's good to do it today. Have you ever tried to run as a kid off the, the, the edge of the shore onto the water to see if you could just run on the water, you know, like one of those Incredibles? It, it, it doesn't work. I, I've tried it. You just can't do it without Jesus. And I can't turn water into wine. I can't walk on water. And I can't stop the waves. But what I can learn from this is from verse 5. His mama said to them, whatever he says to you, do it. So many times, man, we're looking for certain things, but I'm telling you, there's a lot to this, and I'm not going to get to everything, but just hear me out this morning. Whatever he says to you, do it. The first thing I get out of this story is this. Number one, respond to what he says. If you're here this morning and he's told you certain things and you're not yet engaging in those things, then don't expect the water to be turned to wine. Like if you're here this morning, you know, and he's told you specifically, specifically, you ought to get engaged and lead a small group. I'm just picking that as one thing. And you've yet to do it. Don't complain when your water stays H2O. Because why would God do something else in our lives when we can't yet follow the simple things he's given us to do up front? I have found this to be the most frustrating and yet the most rewarding thing about Christianity with the Lord. Is when you refuse to do what he says to do, it's like the stuff just stops. You know? And no matter how much you beg and you plead and you pray and you cry and anoint with oil and it don't matter who you call, you can get them all to call from TB and it ain't going to help you until you do what he said to do. Isn't it funny? It's a simple instruction too. Go get them washing pots for people. What? See, automatically we think, why? Why washing pots? Can't we go get filtered water? That's gross. People have put their fingernails in that, man. It's disgusting. Why would he use that? Why? See, many people talk themselves out of any answer from God because they stop with the first thing he said to do, which is go get a water pot. But see, I can do that. I can't walk on water, and I can't turn water into wine, but I can go get a water pot. Gross though it might be, I can go get one of those. So to me, the answer is in the action. It's in following what Jesus said. Now, this is often, I'm going to take a little moment here on this, and I'm going to break down a couple of more thoughts. But this is often referred to in your scriptures. It would say the beginning of miracles, or these beginning of miracles, or this beginning of miracles of Jesus' ministry started in Canaan of Galilee. Your translation, your Bible may say miracles. The actual word is the word sign. It's actually not miracle, though they can interchange. And I'll explain to you in just a moment what I mean by that. But Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4, listen to what the Bible says about miracles, signs and wonders. It says, God also testifying with him, Hebrews 2, 4, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now, I don't have time to get into everything that's in this, but signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Understanding this, even with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
when God moves, it's not you doing it. You get what I'm saying? This is really important, guys. You've got to hear, hear me out. I know if, if I'm going to turn the temperature down, I don't want you to check out on me right now. I know it's kind of warm in here. I'm baking under the lights myself, okay? So if you're getting kind of lethargic right now, pinch yourself, um, not too hard, but a little bit. Wake up. Hear me out. This is why today we got a big problem going on in Christianity. It's called, well, if so-and-so prays for me, then I'll get something. But if a couple of believers lay hands on me, then, eh, well, you know, I don't know. They're not on TV, so it's probably not as powerful. Whoa, that's, that's basically saying that they are the healer. But they're not the healer. And they're not the miracle worker. And nor am I, nor are you. Who is? It's Jesus. But in Christianity today, it's almost become like a Hollywood feast where if I know, oh, they're in the light, so they must be. They must be. Not really the way the Bible works. You back it up and you look at signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit all come from God through Jesus working through the Holy Spirit. We are merely vehicles, or all we are. We are not the ones that do this. So let me give you a little illustration, break down a couple of these for you. What, what is a sign then? What is a, a sign? In your Bible, it would say these beginning of miracles. The word is actually sign. It means this. It can also mean miracle. But for the emphasis, it means this. A marvelous event manifesting a supernatural act of a divine agent, often with an emphasis on communicating a message. I say so. Uh, at that wedding, do you think they communicated a message? I believe everybody left there, at least the servants did. Everybody else had had a lot of wine already. You know, and listen, I'm not advocating that they were drunk and plastered and just hung over everywhere. That doesn't reflect what the Bible teaches. I don't think Jesus would have turned water into wine and got a whole bunch of more people wasted. And he looked and said, well, there you go. I don't think God did that. I mean, we think in our culture, think about in their culture, it would have been as much as it would have been inappropriate to run out of wine, it would have been more inappropriate for them to be drunk and falling all over the place. You understand what I'm saying? God doesn't do that, all right? But he did provide for them. What was needed for there? It was a sign. It communicated a message to the disciples, to Jesus' mother. I guess she kind of already knew some stuff. Maybe he had been doing some stuff at home, practicing before he got started. I don't know. But nonetheless, the disciples were surprised. I think the servants were surprised, and it was a testimony. How about a wonder? What's a wonder? A wonder is any amazing or wonderful occurrence, especially used of something seemingly preternatural, not supernatural. I mean, maybe like, what is pretty, what is that? I know, because we don't talk about it a lot. We say everything that goes on in Christianity is supernatural, but it's really not. And I'll explain to you a moment. Gifts of the Holy Spirit, when somebody works, somebody comes up to you and gives you a word from God, we say, oh, that's supernatural. Uh, really? Because it came through a human. I think it was divinely inspired. I think God used them. But I would say it probably falls more into a, we'll define it in a moment, but a preternatural way. And what is a miracle? A miracle is power. A miracle is especially understood as the manifestation of great power. A miracle is an absolute resurrection from the dead. Man, that's some power right there. You understand what I'm saying? That is power. You getting over the cold? Eh, I don't know if that's a miracle. Just being honest, right? But miracle is, man, resurrection power. So when we read about all these miracles, we think about how they work. We think about all these people that did miracles. Peter, John, all these guys, they did miracles, signs, and wonders. They were vehicles. God did it. 
The Bible says this, they lifted up their hands, lifted up their hearts, they worshiped God in Acts chapter 4, and they prayed and asked that signs, wonders, and miracles might be wrought or done through the name of thy holy son or holy child, Jesus. It bothers me sometimes that it's almost forgotten that who's doing the miracle, that it's Jesus. It's why we pray in the name of Jesus, not in the name of me or you. It's Jesus. So there are signs and wonders in the Bible, and there are signs and wonders still today. But the thing is this, do I understand what I'm looking for and where it's coming from? So let me break it down another way for you. I'm, let me define these terms we use all the time. Let me define something that's natural. What's natural? Natural is existing in or caused by nature, not made or caused by humankind. That simply means this. It means that when you see something outside the clouds, God did create it, but you see the clouds that roll by. You see the dew that is on the ground in the morning. You see the rivers that run. You see the, the, the frogs and stuff that are out there. You hear the crickets at night, whatever it is. That's, going, that's natural. God created it, but it's a natural process, if you will. You're breathing right now. Natural. Your heart beating right now. It's natural. God created it, but it is a natural. My movements right now, they're natural. It's the word, the word that's, that we don't use a lot, but it's called preternatural. Pronounce it the best I can. Beyond what is normal or natural, preternatural speed. Now, <laughs> you know what? The fastest man on earth, right? If you watch that man run track, listen right now. He is fast. Like, that is, like, that ain't natural. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not natural. I can't outrun him, and nobody else near here either can. I mean, I promise you, you can't. You might think you're fast. You ain't fast. I seen that guy on TV, man. He is, he is smoking fast. 20-plus miles an hour. Man, if I take off right now, I need to stretch first. You know, like, hold on a minute. He just gets on a line and, whew, so quick. Preternatural. It's beyond what is normal or natural. Preternatural speed. It's also beyond what you can actually, what is only human possible with a few, if you will. But also it can mean what is not possible with just in yourself. God working through you. And then there's supernatural. Supernatural means proceeding from existence beyond the visible universe. So <clears throat> be careful that you don't see the supernatural from a human. Because it might only be a preternatural means. Like I said, God gives you a word. You think, oh, that's supernatural. How did they know? Well, it was God divine, yes, but he's working through a human. Let me tell you something supernatural. Supernatural wouldn't be somebody giving you a word. It'd be God himself from the heavens parting open the clouds and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Now listen, baby, when everybody else hears it besides you, <laughs> besides you, because if just you hear it, we don't know if it's supernatural. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I, we've all said it before. But God just told me something. That's fine. That's cool. Oh, it was so loud. I just rung my whole ears. And everything. Did anybody else hear it? Well, I don't know. It wasn't supernatural. If it's, let me just read you one from Supernatural. Matthew 3.16, after being baptized, Jesus came immediately up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in who I am well pleased. And they all heard it. Now that is supernatural. That's supernatural. That's pretty cool. Think about it for a moment. All the things that we say are supernatural, we attribute to many times God working through people. And yes, it's fine. It's fantastic to say that. 
But listen, come on, y'all. If God moves, let's just be real. Let's just be real. I mean, based on what I read about when he comes back, he's going to split open the sky. I've never seen any man do that. Based on what I read, when he comes back, he's going to destroy the enemy with the brightness of his glory. I have never seen that before. All these crazy people out there, they're killing people and bombs and wars and all this stuff. That's, all this stuff that, listen, when he comes back, he's going to set it all straight. And as, no mil- as much as I respect our military, they're not afraid of us in every level. But when he comes back, everybody's going to get their stuff in order. That's supernatural. It's supernatural when he talks about things like this, when he parts the Red Sea in the Old Testament. That's supernatural. Moses didn't do that. He had a stick. That's all he had. See, we kind of diminish, don't we, a little bit when we say, there's nothing wrong with saying it. Please don't misunderstand me. Man, God, God spoke to me and that was supernatural. Was it really supernatural? Because, man, when it's really supernatural, it goes beyond anything humanly possible. It goes beyond anything humanly working with God. It's God working by himself to do something great and fantastic. It's supernatural. The next thing I want you to see right here, this is first of all, so what do we do? We respond to what he says. The answer is in the action. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. Working with God, partnering with God. It's God doing something through you many times. But so many times people are waiting for something great and marvelous to take place. We don't take the steps ourselves. And he's saying to you and I, man, listen, it could be as simple as you just taking the first step of talking to a coworker where you work. Like he tells you every single day, how long we, you're a break with him every day. Why don't you just pray with him? Oh, I'm so shy. It's not my personality. Hey, a lot of things aren't our personality. When Jesus asks you to do it, it don't fit within our box sometimes. I don't really want to do some of the things I have to do either. Last I checked, we don't really get a voice in it, do we? Right? I mean, y'all with me? Is this too much this morning? I'm trying to, trying to fill it out right now. I'm trying to go like, man, you don't, I don't want to talk to my coworkers. You're starting to step on my toes. Change your shoes. I don't know what to tell you. But like, are you good with this right now? Are we okay? Are we tracking? Okay, good. So we're going to do whatever he asks us to do. We're going to respond to what he says. The next thing I see from the scripture, though, is also this. Now, these are a little bit shorter. Respond with the right heart. Obedience, the Bible says, is better than sacrifice. There's a lot of Christians that sacrifice that are the most grumpiest bunch of people you ever met in your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I guess we'll go to church today. My good gracious. Why? I mean, I love you in Jesus' name, but man, why do you make everybody else have to hang out with you if you're going to act that way, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, you know, I guess I got to go to the Bible study. Nobody's forcing your hand. Why you show up like that all mad like? Well, if God don't do something, I'm just doing what I'm going to do. Wow, what a statement. Aren't we so bossy and brassy with the Lord? If God doesn't do something, what are you going to do? Woo, 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 woo. I mean, you know, come on. But isn't that true? That's how we act sometimes. I'm talking about myself as well. Isn't that how we do sometimes? It is. Of course it is. I'm a pastor. I know. You don't have to tell me. I know. It's true. Acts 6.5. Listen to a guy who had the right heart. This is Stephen. Acts 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 5. This is Stephen who was chosen to serve widows 
and wait tables. Just like the other servants that were helping Jesus and his mama at the wedding feast. This is Stephen. Watch this. It says, the statement found approval with the whole congregation. They all started helping, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And these other guys, I don't guess they have, I don't know, they... You know, the next guys, they don't have a lot of stuff going on for them like Stephen. You know, there's Philip Proc, you know, Nike and, Nike and Timon, and I can't pronounce the rest of them, and there's Nick. You know, they're all, you know, there's these guys just in there, but this guy, Stephen, the Bible says, will fill with the Holy Spirit and with faith and power. The Bible goes on, he must have done really good waiting tables, because watch this. A couple of verses later, this is verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Like, you know, I don't know what was going on. Maybe he was handing somebody the ketchup and decided, like, yeah, let me pray for you. Oh, how about that? You know, it just, I don't know what was going on. But Stephen, the interesting thing I see about Stephen is he had a good heart. He didn't find it beneath him to hand out ketchup to some ladies, knowing that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, I wonder how many times Christians have struggled with this kind of thing when they're asked to simply open a door. Do you not know who I am? Man, I run stuff. I'm the man. See, that don't really matter in the kingdom of God. Because many times God might just ask you to hand out some ketchup knowing that you're way up here. But he's saying, I'm going to humble you to get down here to see if you'll respond to what I ask you to do with the right heart and not just out of simply obedience. Because a lot of us do things. Maybe out of obedience, but is it with the right heart? I love that about Stephen. The answer, again, is in the action. He did what was asked of him. He was healing people. He was the first martyr in the Bible, and it was not beneath him to hand out ketchup or whatever they had. Maybe they didn't have ketchup. They probably didn't. Probably had something else, you know, some matzo bread or whatever. I don't know. They're handing out something. It wasn't beneath him. He did it. He did it willingly, and God opened up the door for him to preach the gospel. The third thing I see out of this verse of Scripture is that the people, the, the most unique thing about this verse is that people, they responded from the relationship. When Mary told Jesus to do this, it was a relational thing. When Jesus told the servants, it wasn't relational, although he probably knew the guys. Probably worked with the guys. But when he told them to just go and do this, you know, a lot of them I think were doing it as just their job. They're just filling some water pots. So let me ask you this question as I wrap up this thought right here. If we're going to respond out of relationship, can I ask you a question this morning? If God asks you to draw out water from a water pot, do you do it out of obligation or do you do it out of relationship? Well, let's just settle in for a moment. Is it done out of obligation or is it done out of relationship? Because what I found is this, man. You know, I could do a lot of cool stuff out of obligation. But if it's out of relationship, it means more. John 14, 15. This is mentioned so many times in the Bible, but I'm just going to give you one verse. John 14, 15. Jesus says this three times within just a few verses. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't say, you should keep my commandments because I said so. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's funny how the rich young ruler, the very interesting thing about this, here's how you know if you're in obligation or relationship, because the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus with obligation. 
And he said, hey, what do I need to do in her eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know, you know what the commandments say. You know, honor your mother, your father, right? Have no other gods before the Lord. He went through the whole Ten Commandments with him. And the rich younger says, well, hey, you know, I've been doing this all my life, man. I am good to go. And Jesus said, huh, won't you sell everything you got? Then come follow me. And he choked. Why? Because everything he had was based upon what? Obligation and not relationship. I wonder what would happen is if in Christianity itself, if we went from obligational Christianity to relational Christianity, where it became more about what Jesus intended was for us to have a relationship with him and not obligation. Like not to pick, because I don't know. I don't know. And if I call your name, hey, man, it's the Lord. It's not supernatural. It's just God working through me right now, okay? But I'm just saying, if you're here and you came this morning out of obligation, I would say, why? Come on. I know, I know you're probably thinking, well, man, don't you want people to come to church? Absolutely. Of course I do. <laughs> of course. But I want to challenge us all right now to think about something. Sunday in Rome, Georgia, is you, everybody goes to church. That's just what you do. And if you call yourself a Christian and don't go, then people say, well, where were you? So what do you do the next week? Why? Well, then I guess I should go back. That's the tempo or the, the, the temperature, if you will, in our city. So I want to challenge all of us this morning. Can I ask you a question? Are we here this morning out of obligation? Or are we here this morning out of relationship? Which one is it? And if you don't think a pastor asks himself that from time to time, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. I mean, I'll, in a sense, I have to be here. You get what I'm saying? Like if I decide, I ain't going today. I mean, I'm blaming Peter. He's not here. I'm going to make fun of him. If I pull up Pastor Peter and I just say, I ain't going today. And I do it weeks and weeks in a row. Wouldn't you begin to go like, hey, where's the guy I had that usually speaks? Like, I mean, I take, you know, six months out and I'm not, not to be found. You'd be like, wouldn't you be like, well, where's the guy at? Like, it's weird. But I'm not here out of, out of obligation either. I'm not at all. Not. I'll say it this way. I'm owned by Jesus. This church doesn't own me. You understand what I'm saying right now? You're not owned by anybody either. You're owned by Jesus. And that's where we should run from, the relationships. Let me wrap up with this thought, okay? This word is very interesting that these servants, the word servants listed under. It's a word diak. Oh, no, so I can't pronounce it as Greek, so there you go. If your Greek's better than mine, praise the Lord. It just simply means this. You're a servant, but you're viewed in relationship to your work. Best thing I can say, it's called diakonos. You're, you're viewed as, your, as a servant in relationship to your work. It means what you do. The servants who went to get the water pots, they were viewed as servants in relationship to their work. Watch this, the difference. When Jesus calls his servants, the parables that he used when he called servants, many times he says, if you have an older translation, it might say slaves. It means something totally different, not from our culture. It's a different word. It's the word doulos, and it means in relationship to his master. Or we would say in our Lord, we don't use the word master very much. It's mostly in some of these older Bible translations, but it would be the word Lord. 
I'm in relationship with the Lord. That's who we are. We're Sounds funny when you say this, we're doulos. <laughs> You're a bunch of doulos, you know what I'm saying? We're, that's who we are. We're in relationship with our Lord and with our Savior. And listen to what Jesus did in Philippians 2.7. Exactly what he did. It says he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant or a doulos. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even as death on the cross. Jesus was the ultimate example of you and I saying, we are going to be servants in relationship, not out of obligation. So this morning, here's what I want to challenge you with. If God is asking you to do something, is it possible that the answer is on the other side? But is it possible that we're avoiding his instruction because we have a relationship based upon obedience and our work? Versus love and relationship. It's just, a, it's just a challenging thing to think about. Every one of these guys, when they saw the miracle take place, this is very easy for them to do. Fill up the water pots, take them to that guy. Anybody can do that. That's not hard. The question is, will we do that? So one last thing I want to end with here is that God never asks us to do the supernatural. Never. Never does. I don't know about you, I'm certainly glad that he doesn't. Because it would put me in a bit of, of a predicament. You know? Hey, I want you to walk on the water. Ah. Uh, you know? I want you to raise the dead. I want, God simply tells me to pray for people. God tells me to go into all the world and preach the gospel to people. God tells me to go and, and you know, follow him through a number of instructions, but particularly through the Great Commission, I'm to go and to do what he asked me to do. It is the response of other people that is what matters. You know how many people aren't saved? They hear the gospel? More. Jesus tells us this. Broad is the pathway to hell. Narrow is the road to righteousness. There are more people that reject the gospel than those who actually accept the gospel. But does that mean we don't preach the gospel? No. Our part is to what? Preach it. Proclaim it. Talk to your coworker at the break room. Stop ignoring them. And they may spit in your face. I, I get it. I've had people cuss me out before. It's not fun. You're going to be like, well, I'm doing it for you, Jesus. And they just cuss you out right there. I got you, man. But my result, my job isn't the outcome. My job is the obedience out of the relationship. So I want to challenge you with that today. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.